This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning, good afternoon, welcome wherever you may be. This is real well here in LA. Stunning Sunday morning. Um, and uh, yes, it was also nice and hot. So uh, anyway, you're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets Dr. Jeff. Again, we're doing a little simulcast, I like to call it. We have my Instagram live feed going and my here on Pet Life Radio. We're here for you. We're here for your pets. Any questions you might have, anything you're just wondering to know about, anything new and exciting, or maybe not so exciting, but new, you want to hear about, here is the time and place to do it. And that's here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And um, as you know, I like to uh, peruse the news. And for those of you on Instagram, if you have any questions, you know, sometimes they kind of go pretty quickly. So uh, anyway, so some new stuff going on. And uh, one of the one of the warnings coming out, you know, it is, you know, we're still in summer. Okay, we're in summer for another till what, uh, till the 21st or whatever it is. So it's hot in a lot of places. In fact, September is often uh, one of the hotter months in many, many states. So uh, anyway, still exercise caution when you're out there playing, exercising with your dogs. It's very important, especially during the midday heat. Uh, you still want to take the same precautions you took back in, in July and August because uh, September is still pretty hot. And just some of the signs of heat strokes so that you know that you may be overdoing it. First, excessive panting, um, weakness, the tongue may be turning like a darker color, the eyes may be glazed, may become very thirsty. The problem, the problem that you know, we ha- a lot of times have with our dogs, especially those of you that you know, like to do jogging with your dog or hiking with your dog or um, riding your bike alongside, your dog is running alongside your bike is that they have such loyalty to us that they are going to stick with us no matter what. Even if they're exhausted, they're going to keep going. And that seems to be the problem. When we have that feeling of exhaustion coming over us or we're getting overheated, we know to stop and take a break. But our dogs don't know that. They're going to stay with you until it's... If they stop on their own to take a break, it's probably too late because they're already collapsing by now. So we have to read those subtle signs. And as I said, it's the thirst, it's the panting, it's the, it's the glazed eyes. They become a little bit more you know, weak and wobbly. They're not running with that same enthusiasm. Then, you know, it's time to stop, find some shade, get them some water. And also something that a lot of people do wrong. If your dog has hyperthermia, is overheated, high temperature, 105, 106, 107 degrees. I mean, that's really bad. Is that you don't want to like stick them in a tub of cold water. And that's sort of passe or put ice on them. We find that that is actually more damaging because it can cause some things like even brain swelling when you drop their heat too fast. So what you want to do is use just warm or or just tepid water, just something that would come out of a tap. It's not cold. um, It's not hot. It's just it's just there. That's how you want to slowly get their temperature. You want to normalize their temperature, bring that heat down, do it gradually. What you could also do is, is soak their feet. That helps a lot as well. So again, you know, just keep in mind the warning signs. Keep in mind what you need to do. And of course, wherever you are, especially if you if you have a, a certain route and you're doing it on a weekend where your your regular hospital may be closed, or even if your regular hospital is too far away, you need to know exactly where the emergency facilities are because it's one of those things where done professionally is going to be more effective, more efficient than trying to do this at home. And so it's, a, it's very important. It's kind of like I talk about rattlesnakes. If you're hiking a lot and you're in an area with rattlesnakes, just knowing where your hospital is, it doesn't make a difference because A, it might be too far. B, do they even carry and stock the antivenin? Because if they don't, 
Mostly, a lot of general practices don't. It's very expensive. It has a short shelf life. So we save that for the emergency facilities, and uh, that's kind of what uh, what they do. So anyway, next up, I hear about all this time, and people are, are, they see the symptoms, they see the behavioral changes, but they're so shocked to hear when I tell them what's going on. And that is the dog, usually a very much older dog, kind of the lights are on, but nobody's home. I mean, he's still living, he's breathing, but he's just not all there. You Sometimes you'll find them head pressing, walking up to a wall and just sticking their head in the wall, or seemingly going behind a piece of furniture that they've always done, but they get stuck, they can't get out. Or they walk into a corner and they, where they have to either go right or left to get out of it, but they don't, they keep butting ahead, they just don't know where they are. We call that CDS, cognitive dysfunction syndrome, also known as canine cognitive dysfunction, CCD. And basically, it's dementia. It's Alzheimer's. It, it is all those things. And dogs get it too. The, you know, the one great thing is because of so many advances in medicine, we are keeping our pets older longer, which is great. But we're also then noticing a lot of things that we never noticed before. All right. So anyway, the, yes, dogs can get dementia. Yes, we see it. Yes, I know you've seen it. And you've seen it in your pets because I get the question. So I know you're seeing it. Basically, you're going to see these vague behavioral changes. They just, they're just not as sharp. They're not getting it anymore. There are medications that we can use. And I, you know, the most important thing is just to recognize that it does happen and it's potentially going to happen in many, many dogs. So just knowing what's there, but some of the medications that they say the brain foods are good, antioxidants are good, CoQ10 is good, selegiline, uh, which they use in people can help. So there are things out there. You want to talk to your veterinarian, but it is what it is. It's, it's uh, something that is, it's a problem that we're going to see as our dog's age. So also, and I'm going to be doing an article for this for five, is that now we're at late summer, early fall, even when it starts to cool down a little bit, we're, we're going to have certain problems that we're going to be less significant for us. But there are a lot of late summer, early autumn pollens, and we see a lot of uptick in allergies. Also, speaking of ticks, not the different spelling, but ticks also are prevalent during fall. So don't stop your medications, your flea and tick meds, speak to your veterinarian. Uh, there are really effective, safe flea and tick medications. Many of the things, we've talked about this before, many of the things that are available over the counter, though safe, are really no longer effective. They've been on the market for too long. Uh, they've been used and abused by because of poor use practices by pet parents who really are just, they're not using it properly. They're not using it because they're just buying it. There's no one to, no one to guide them. Anyway, so this is where it's very important to work with your veterinarian, but there's some great products out there. So if you see itchiness, if you see skin sores, if you see bacterial infection on the skin, your dog's uncomfortable, losing hair, thinning hair, et cetera, uh, you want to think pollens. Now, just not, I always say this, not that the dog read the book, but there are certain parts, unlike a cat, when cats get allergic skin disease, it can manifest anywhere or on the body. We call it miliary dermatitis. There's no necessarily figuring out what the allergen was on a cat because they, they can, all of them can present the same way and each one differently. Dogs, however, again, you're not going to find this, like, as I said, they did read the book, but normally the problem is in the lower back above the base of the tail. The first thing I do, and I usually find them, look for fleas. That is the classic flea area. If the lesions are more ventrally, meaning down in the belly, the lower abdomen, the groin, inside of the thighs, the backs of the thighs. Now you want to think pollens. We call it atopic dermatitis. That's inhaled allergens, grasses, weeds, trees, pollens, etc. So that is you know just a clue. Going after the ears, that could be atopy, inhaled, or it could be food. 
chewing the front feet, like really chewing, going after them, rubbing their face on a wall, carpet. Uh, you want to think food. And as I said, there's going to be overlap, but it just gives you a clue. So if you find your dog having a lot of problems underneath and you see lesions, you see redness, you see sores, you see flaking, especially in the you know, belly, groin, inner thighs, and in the uh, lateral, the caudal thighs, the back part of the thigh, then you want to think uh, in allergies. Earlier, we, you know, I said we talked about being, using exercise caution. There's something that is not common, but maybe it's becoming more common. And the reason for that, as with anything, when there's something genetic, we see some more commonality over time because these things are passed in genes. So it is, it's an exercise-induced collapse. I found it very interesting. We typically see it in young adult hunting dogs, like your retrievers, your spaniels, even your working dogs, like herding dogs, like corgis. And you know, so you know, any of these, what we call field dogs. So basically the collapse usually happens within several minutes after really severe exertion. It's got to be intense exercise. Just your normal exercise is not going to do it. It's intense exercise and they will literally just collapse. They'll start stumbling and collapse. Their fever, they can go up, temperature can go up, and just resting for anywhere from 10 to you know, 10 to 15 minutes, and they get up and like nothing ever happened. So it turns out that, oh, you also might see swelling in the tongue and therefore drooling. And just as I said, the, um, the awkward walking, et cetera. And regular exercise, that doesn't affect them. So here's what they, they know. The affected dogs have a mutation of a gene. It's called the DNM1 gene. That's probably not important. Just know it's genetic. It has to come from both parents. So if only one parent has it and passes it on, they can become a carrier, but they will not get the symptoms of this disease, of this condition. However, if both parents have it, and then it becomes what we call homozygous as opposed to heterozygous. So if it's homozygous, then they can actually have this problem. So if you have one such dog, you know a couple of things. First of all, chances are, if you have a purebred working field hunting dog like these dogs that have this condition are, then chances are you got it from a breeder and probably a very legitimate breeder who may not know that the pair that she used for this particular breeding clearly were both carriers. So something you want to do is report to your breeders that whichever litter this came from, uh, whichever dam and sire they use for this particular breeding, both were carriers and they should you know, keep that in mind. If you suspect that your dog has this condition, you can send blood tests, talk to your veterinarian. But I, I know there's some private labs that do it, but I know that UC Davis, my alma mater, and University of Minnesota Veterinary School Lab do the testing for this, the abnormality of the DNM1 gene. So uh, just kind of keep in mind, it's one of those important things in the back of your mind. And before we break, we're going to we come back. You know, a lot of times, just because of nature of what I see, we see more dogs than cats in my practice. I think unless you're in an all-cat practice, you're going to probably find the same. I am equal opportunity. I actually have five dogs, but I also have five cats. So I am very even when it comes to my dogs and cats. So, but in reporting and stuff that we see in the news, admittedly, it's, it's a little heavier on the dog side. So when we come back after break, we're going to talk about some study that was just done on cats and their personality traits. It'd be very interesting to hear some feedback of what you think uh, based on what I'm going to tell you. Anyway, before we break, two quick things. You know, we talked about zoonotic diseases in the past. Those are diseases that are passed by animals and can affect people as well. Animals sometimes the host, animals sometimes just not infected, but can spread it. Um, and oftentimes animals get the disease as do people. So two here that are bad news for the zoonotic diseases. All right, number one, Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection collected more than 
twice as many black-legged deer tick nymphs this last year than ever before. And therefore, also more cases of Lyme disease than ever before. And we see Lyme disease is passed by these anaplasmosis, also a tick-borne disease. It's a rickettsial disease. So any of the, what we call the rickettsia or lichiosis is another one. So these are diseases passed on by ticks. So you want to, again, make sure that you have your pets. If you live in areas that have a high density of these ticks and diseases that go along with them, make it very sure that you have your veterinarian give you some really good, safe tick protection. Interestingly, I work with a number of rescues, and many of them now, the hot thing is, one, because it's so hard to find dogs here, is which is a good thing, they are um, getting dogs from Mexico. And I would say the vast majority of dogs that I'm seeing from Mexico have some of these tick-borne diseases, tested positive for lichia, for anaplasmosis. So it is really, really a problem. So uh, if you can prevent it, go ahead. Second one, West Nile virus. West Nile virus is carried by mosquitoes. Listen to this. West Nile virus was found in a record number of mosquito pools in Utah. At least 11 people and nine horses and seven birds they have affected with West Nile virus. So again, mosquito protection, not just for heartworm. In many, many areas, you're protecting against mosquitoes because of West Nile as well. So there are vaccines available for horses for West Nile virus. We see see more prevalent in horses than other animals. And um, owners basically should um, check out with their vet. And what is recommended is every spring is you should, uh, if your horses aren't already and you live in a high mosquito area, you might want to have them vaccinated against West Nile virus. So anyway, and for for dogs, of course, heartworm disease. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk about cats and their lovely personalities. Don't go away. So, you know, I'm always perusing what's going on in the pet world, and I attend all the pet conferences. I came across a company I really like called Carlson Pet Products. It's family-owned, very affordable stuff, and they specialize in creating pet safety products to keep your pets, you know, happily protected from the puppy stage all the way through their senior years. And they have tons of products. They have pet pens and folded elevated pet beds. They have crates, pet gates, etc. And um, I love their portable pens. First of all, they're very lightweight. You can fold them up. They have a little carry bag for storing. So they're really so convenient for you to use. You can use them for at home. You can use them for traveling. Or let's say you're just heading someplace down the street and you want to keep them protected. I think it's great. So the pet pens come in two sizes. You have a six panel and an eight panel. And so basically you get ample room to explore and you can add also an attachable canopy. So it creates like a shaded area to protect them from the sun. So for more information, you can visit them at carlsonpetproducts.com. You'll get 25% off the order plus free shipping. If you use the promo code PETLIFE, that's P-E-T-L-I-F-E. You're going to love them. For those fortunate to have experienced the deep bond and unconditional love of a companion animal, the death that follows can be one of the most difficult and misunderstood losses to go through. Many times, this devastating loss goes unrecognized and trivialized by family and friends, leaving grieving pet parents struggling to find healthy ways to cope with the loss. In And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal for healing the loss of a pet, Dr. Julianne Corbin calls attention to the difficulties unique to the loss of a beloved pet and provides an interactive and compassionate guide to help you process your loss and work towards coming to a place of peace and healing. For those interested in journal therapy 
and looking for a professionally written and compassionate resource to help understand and reconcile the grief associated with the loss of your pet, this book is for you. And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal by Julianne Corbin is now available for purchase on Amazon and other major book retailers. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com And welcome. You're back live with Dr. Jeff Werber here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Before the break, we talked about cats. There are a lot of reasons why, as I said, unless you take your cat to an all-cat practice, that most facilities that I know, uh, including my own, probably see a higher percentage of dogs and cats. My prospect is probably 60-40, and I, which I'm always intrigued. I've had days where my first five appointments were cats, and I even comment about it because it's not as usual. First of all, cats don't complain. I wouldn't say they're not social. They're less social, less reliant sometimes on us that you wouldn't know it from my cats. Truth be told, four of my cats actually read the dog book by mistake. So they are all over, they are so dog-like in their behavior. One is like a cat. So a study was done looking at the different personality traits. It was actually done by a doctor in Finland, Helsinki, Finland. And um, what they did, they took, yes, they have nine lives, but they only actually have seven basic personality traits that they studied. And they studied, well, in the original study, they were like five or 6,000 cats. Then they cut it down based on you know criteria. And the ones that finally met all the criteria to be included in the study were over 4,000 cats. That's a lot of cats. And they were able to basically break everything down to seven main personality traits. Here are the seven. Activity slash playfulness, fearfulness, aggression towards humans, aggression towards other cats, sociability towards humans and sociability to other cats, litter box issues, and excessive grooming. So what they did was they looked at certain breeds. Now, remind you, if I think, I would say the majority 80%, 80%, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe 75 of the cats that I see are domestics, domestic short hair, domestic medium, domestic long hair, they're mixes. They're not pure, purebred. So keep this in mind that even though you may listen to some of these cat breeds that have certain traits, this is statistically and it's pure breed. So again, keep it in mind. Now, I was surprised by these, by the way. So what was the, the most fearful cat? Now, mind you, this is the most doesn't mean that there are going to be others. And there's a lot of individuality here within this cross section. But the most fearful was the Russian blue. The least fearful was the Abyssinian. The most active, and I can, I can, I agree with this one because I had one, a Bengal. The most passive, and I thought this was kind of fun, Persians and exotic shorthairs. So they're exotic shorthair Persians. Now, which ones groom the most excessively, which is interesting because you would think for sure a long hair cat, right? Well, no. Well, one of them is kind of longish hair, but it's the Siamese and the Balinese. And the Balinese is like a longer hair Siamese. So, but that's very interesting. So when people say that my cat's neurotic and they have a Siamese, now we know why they probably groom excessively because they're a little bit neurotic. When cats overgroom, we usually say it's a behavioral thing. It's a, an emotional problem. So that certainly can hold true here. Now, aggressive towards humans and lower sociability to other cats. And that was, and this is not a cat that I, I may have seen one, but, but it's called the Turkish van. I was going to look that one up. The Turkish van is most aggressive towards human 
and they are lower in sociability to other cats. So that would be the classic cat, you know, like this cat just wants to be left alone, doesn't want to play with other cats, doesn't want to play with humans. You go near, it's going to try to bite you or scratch you. So I don't know why we would want such a cat. But the um, amazing thing is, is that when I think of some of the cats that I deal with, first of all, you know, interestingly, you can give me the toughest dog in the world over the toughest cat any day of the week, as far as as a veterinarian. Though, yes, a dog has a bigger bite, but at least with dogs, they're more predictable. You know, they're much easily read as far as their behavior. And, you know, you get a cat. And um, I mean, some of these cats, you could be petting them. They could be, and all of a sudden they just look at you and they just take that swipe. That's whenever I'm dealing with a cat, the first thing I do, if I have to, whether I have to do an exam, an ultrasound, taking blood, uh, you know, taking x-rays, first thing I do on the house, on the house, I'm going to trim your cat's toenails. And I say, not for the cat's sake, for our sake. So we'll, we'll go ahead and, and trim nails because they are, and, and also cats are amazing with their back feet. They are so good at getting you with those back feet. And, uh, you know, it's like I say, the best place to examine a cat is wherever that cat wants to be. I've examined more cats in their carrier or on mom's lap. They do not. Sometimes just getting them out and putting them on that table heightens the stress. And that's why we, you know, sometimes you want to spray the table down. Always you should have a nice padded. They don't like stainless steel. Even like a nice formica, you know, or a granite top, whatever you have in your hospital, they don't like that. Sometimes we actually will pre-spray with like feel away or like a pheromone, like the towel or, or the padding that we're going to put on a table just to calm them down. A lot of places will actually make sure that they spray themselves or have in a cat room, if you have a room designated for cats, which is not a bad idea if you go to your hospital, is that they have the diffusers, which are spraying the pheromone to kind of keep calmness. And there's another thing that I found really cool that uh, there's different ones. There's one called music for a cat's ears and music for a dog's ears. They're little devices they just plug into uh, you know a USB and it very low plays this sounds these music that cats or dogs just seem to like it just it just gives them some calmness but the worst thing you do when you have cats and you know you, and I as I look at this list and I just know from how we have to handle our cats is that the worst thing you can do is force anything on a cat they hate it and the more a cat dislikes something the more aggressive they're going to be the more they're going to show you how much they dislike whatever you're trying to do. And then one thing I've also noticed is many of my calls on AirVet, which are my, doing virtual visits on the telemedicine platform, they are on cats because clients don't want to stress their cats out. Just taking the carrier out sometimes, the cat will run and hide under bed. You won't be able to get it out. It, you, it just shows you that how fearful they sometimes could be. So when you, you, know, you think of the most fearful, the Russian blue, if you have a Russian blue who hates going to the vet, that's, that, that fits. And if you have an Abby who doesn't mind, that's okay. It's least fearful. So it would be very interesting to hear. Again, I'm going to run through this list. Let me know, A, if you have any of your cats are the exact like opposite, or do they kind of fit this grouping? Again, most fearful, the Russian blue, least fearful, the Abyssinian. The most active, the Bengal. The most passive, Persians and exotic short hair. Excessive groomers are the Siamese and the Balinese. Aggressive towards humans and lower sociability to other cats is the Turkish van. So if uh, you or someone you know have any of these cats that fit these categories, let me know. That'd be great. You can reach me here at Pet Life Radio by Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. You can always go to Werbs underscore DVM on my Instagram or just hashtag Werbs. I think that'll do it too. Or reach me on AirVet. Uh, that's, uh, I had three calls this morning already 
And two of them were people that their vet was not on air vet. They just went on and searched for telemedicine because they use telemedicine for themselves. And of course, they're both millennials, which is makes a lot of sense. And they were able to uh, get us on air vet. So have a great week, everybody. And uh, I am off this afternoon to Sophie Stadium. And that is the uh, first home Rams game, or full game, a regular season game at the new stadium. And I am anxiously uh, awaiting to see what it's like. And um, I will certainly let you know they're playing the Bears. If you have any Chicago fans out there, hopefully you'll still love me if uh, the Rams win. I don't know. It'll be an interesting season for the Rams. So anyway, have a great week. We'll be here. Same bad time, same bad channel next week. And if you have any questions along the way, please let me know anything you want me to talk about. I really like, I mean, I'm always looking for stuff to talk about. And are there any things that you like to talk about? Or if you want to join me here live, what you can do is you can just go on to Pet Life Radio, click on shows, ask the vets with Dr. Jeff, and there will be a link left for you. And you can actually put your Instagram on hold and then come over and join me here on Pet Life Radio. So that's all we have time for today. So, uh, Mark, thank you very much and have a great week. And we will see you here next week. Be well. Let's Talk Pets every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com.